Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia is going to share an article with us. Um, Patricia, do you yes. just want to give us a quick preview of your article before we get caught up on some of what's been going on with us lately? Sure. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about team reflexivity, or in other words, think about like team debriefs after projects or at the end of shifts um, and how that impacts well-being. So kind of a different take on well-being, looking at a team perspective versus an individual employee. Um, But it's a fun article, so I'm excited to share it. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like so many people are working on teams and there isn't a lot of guidance when you get put on a team what you should be doing or how you should be doing it. Um, So this will be really helpful. Yes, I hope so. Um, I do want to ask you about your foot. Yes. Your ankle. Yes. Uh, Your cast is off. Yes. Yes. The cast came off this morning and then I went and got a pedicure because I was like very extra and um, oh, and also, uh, I don't know if anyone out there has ever had a leg cast before, but when you get the leg cast off, like everything under it has just been growing. So it was really funny to see like how like hairy your leg gets. <laughs> and I decided when I saw it that I feel like, you know, it's not fair that women have to shave and men don't have to shave. But I decided when I saw it that actually... I'm in favor of, like, everyone should shave their leg. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone do the work. Yes, I think it should be equally that everyone should shave it. Because when I saw my leg without it and I saw my leg with it and even just, like, felt how, like, itchy it was and stuff, I was like, you know, guys are really missing out on this this nice, clean leg deal that we've got going on. I know. So I said, you know what? I'm I'm a proponent of the of the everyone shave the leg now. I think makes sense. I uh, I did laser on my legs, and it's like the best thing that it's I've awesome. ever decided to do in my life. Which yeah. sounds ridiculous, but it is. No, it saves it's so, so much good. time. It's like amazing. No, I agree with you. Yeah. If I I I should probably just like bite the bullet and do that at some point, but. Um, yeah, you'll have to find a good place, and then like what I did was I found a place. Um, that's pretty good. I I know what kind of laser they use, so if you need a tip, mm. I can. Help I didn't you even find know the right laser that there was laser variation. There is. There wow. is. I've learned this that there's different types of lasers, and the laser that they use this one place I really really liked because not only is it effective, but it when it shoots you with like the laser, it shoots <laughs> out a burst of cold air too. Oh, so because the laser is hot, right? So you yeah. feel like a sting. Yeah, and then the cold air kind of like it's like almost like distracts your body. It's like whoa, wait, never mind, I'm not hot, and <laughs> it doesn't hurt as bad. Like it's so weird, but it really works, and I'm obsessed. Like that's awesome. I would not go to any other laser place because I or a place that doesn't have this laser because I love the like cool air shot that it Look shoots at, at that. You. I had no mm-hmm. idea that there was even laser, a type of laser to consider. I would have just shown up like a laser idiot and taken whatever laser <laughs> they gave me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I think it makes a difference. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it was also because I actually found a Groupon mm. um, for the place. So that like helped with like part of That's it, awesome. like only a certain number of sessions. But um, you just got to find like the neighborhood that is like really into it. Because like, yeah. I feel like there's just certain neighborhoods in L.A. where 
um, there's a lot of them and yeah. there's a lot of different clinics that do it, then you get better prices and more coupons yeah. and things like that. I'm sure somewhere in DC, this enclave of lasers exists. Um, yeah, it's gotta be somewhere. Well, I didn't get it done before uh, this, so it was pretty funny when I took the cast off. I was like, whoa, that's what happens if I, this is, this is what things would have looked like if I uh, didn't start shaving my legs in sixth grade. Um, so, so yeah, so that was interesting, but aside from that part, uh, you know, everything's nice and clean now and looking good and, um, I'm, the forward progress is very encouraging. So I really appreciate the fact that things are moving along and they're like on schedule and it's, um, been six weeks now since I fell. So Time is moving. I know time is moving along fast. And um, so I feel like they said basically within the next two weeks, I'll be off crutches. And then two weeks after that, I should be walking normally. So because these six weeks went so fast, I'm like, ah, you know, another month. Almost there. Not too bad. Yeah, almost there. Um, So and then I'll be out and about and enjoying the um, summer summer months. I know. So I'm excited about that. Um, What do you have going on? What have you been up to? Oh, man. Um, Well, this weekend we did like a bunch of spring cleaning, which was awesome and very productive. And I have other parts of the house I want to tackle. So it's kind of like started this snowball of spring cleaning. Yeah, you can't stop. Maybe snowball is not the right word because we're talking about spring, but (laughs) whatever. Um, (laughs) um, We did we like basically took everything out of our closet and organized it and got rid of stuff we didn't need and we did like a, a cleanse of I mean so much crap so much crap That's and awesome. then uh and then we put everything back in and like in a very organized and neat fashion and I'm very excited about it so then like um I just need to go through other parts of the house like I did um all of my dressers and stuff like that already and then I need to do the kitchen so I have like different places that I want to tackle but I have so much stuff to donate to like literally just trash bags and trash bags full of stuff. And I'm like, how did I have, why did I have all this stuff? It's just crazy when you think about it. It's like, I spent all this money to buy so much stuff that I just don't use or wear or don't whatever. And I'm like, I need to be, I feel like I'm generally pretty good about not buying something that I don't like buying things that I love and not like just wasting money on just a random whatever. But I guess I love a lot of things at first, so then I start hating them. I don't know. Because there's just so much stuff. But Sometimes you, like, think you're going to love something. And then, like, when you get it, it's, like, it's not practical or it's not – I don't know. Like, the, and then every now and again, I find something that I get and I'm, like, oh, like, that was probably stupid. And then, like, all I do is wear it. And I'm, like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. So sometimes mm-hmm. you can be surprised. I have to do the same thing. That's I have to true. go through all my clothes because – we have to store our clothes here because there's no like basement here and the closets are like for I was going to say medieval. Medieval is not correct <laughs> <laughs> for like colonial like, colonial people. And um, they just didn't, I mean, have as much stuff. So the closets are really small. So we have to like um, switch out our stuff from this like storage cellar in the backyard. And um and so before we get the summer stuff out, I have to go through all my other stuff and figure out what I'm giving away because um, there's yeah. a bunch of stuff I have to give away. So I'm doing the same thing. But it does feel good like when you like free yourself of it. You're like, ah, oh, like I feel so much lighter 
Yeah, it's like all that weight that you're donating away. Feels yeah. like you feel it actually physically. It's weird. Yeah, it's awesome. It's weird. Well, I'm glad you but, got a lot of cleaning done. That's exciting. Yeah, it was exciting. We also saw Aladdin this weekend. Oh, so how was it? Like little things. Um, oh goodness. Well, I I actually enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going oh, to because I was like, a little bit nervous about the genie so like I love Williams <laughs> I love that initial genie me too I'm nervous about know? it too and I was like Will Smith like I like Will Smith for the most part but I was like is right. this genie gonna really be like the genie yeah and, like Will obviously Smith genie he wasn't, is right it's never gonna be perfect yeah but but I actually appreciated his genie and I felt like oh, he made good. it his own it was like a Will Smith genie Yay, um, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm happy because when I first saw the genie, I was like a little scared by it because like mm-hmm. it just looks like funny with whatever it is, like the CGI or whatever they do on it. Um mm-hmm. and so I was like, oh no, I don't know if I can handle this this whatever this is. But now <laughs> that I've seen it even a couple more times in commercials and stuff, I'm like, all right, I think I can handle it. And someone was saying yeah. to me like that. Because I, I also was like, why do they have to, like, redo all the, like, classic movies and whatever? But then someone was saying to me, like, that kids are so used to higher tech looking things that what we grew up with kind of looks like Steamboat Willie to them or something. Like, if they want it to, like, keep, like, keep evolving and have new generations like it, they have to update how it looks because it's just going to look old and weird eventually. Um mm. So, like, even, like, the Mickey, like, um, kids' cartoons and stuff, they're all, like, more, like, you know, like, 3D, like, Pixar-y type animation. So, like, the flat animation stuff probably does look old to kids now. Yeah. So, it makes it made sense to me. I said, okay, I'll let it happen that's a, that's a decent point. I get that. And then I also think there's also a nostalgia factor, right? Like, these movies came out when we were kids. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people that are our age have kids. So, it's, like, not only are they going to rope in those kids but those parents right. like want to see it too it's very true um, and then those of us without children that grew up with it still want to see it so they kind very of true. get a really good market because of the timing of it yeah um, that's a good point and they do fix some things like there's definitely some problematic things and themes in the original yeah uh, that they address and they they change so oh that's I good spoil it but that's uh, good i thought that was good too so you'll see it Yay. I will be curious to see what you think. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, and I know that you don't watch Game of Thrones, so I can't talk about that with you. But um, <laughs> I was very disappointed in the finale. Very disappointed. But uh, if anyone out there listening was similarly disappointed, which I'm sure people were, because like I feel like everybody was disappointed. Everybody was. Yeah. Then um, then you can send me a message and we can lament together. oh yeah i asked my parents about it and they were not thrilled and yeah i don't think there's like one person that i know that said that they liked the ending like i haven't really asked a lot of people because i don't i don't watch it so i don't care that much but right i've seen some stuff about it and i think there's one person i know that posted something on facebook that indicated they liked the ending and i was like oh yeah there's one first time for everything (laughs) well i disagree with that person boo boo them um well yes but not all things can be pleasantly surprising 
as Aladdin was, which is the take-home message of our podcast today. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> and we're done. And moving on That's to Team Dynamics. <laughs> um, but anyway, actually, let's learn about Team Dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so teams, teams and well-being. Um, the article I chose to talk about today um, is from the Journal of Applied Psychology. It's published in 2018 by Chen Bamberger, Song, and Vashti. And it was called The Effects of Team Reflexivity on Psychological Well-Being in Manufacturing Teams. So first thing, manufacturing teams, it's an interesting sample. Yeah. Um, not one that we usually talk about. So that that in and of itself makes the article really interesting. Yeah, But definitely. I think that everything that's learned in it is applicable to, well, we don't know, of course. We haven't, it hasn't been researched at a broader level, but... It seems like it should be applicable yeah. more broadly, not just within this this context. Yeah, and I feel like we consider things that we study in more like corporate contexts applicable to other contexts. So we can, when something's studied in a less corporate setting, we can also similarly say it might apply to a more corporate type context. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate um, when samples like this are used because it's, you know, I don't think we talk about them enough. I don't think we talk about positions and jobs that are yeah. just different than like the dip- typical desk job. And I think that some of this study um, ap- could apply to someone with a typical desk job, of course, but it also applies to shift work in a yeah. different way than it probably does than other some of our other research does. And shift work is very common in retail and restaurants and other food services and different types of jobs like manufacturing of course like here and call centers etc so I think that there's something to be said about um this the population that that is doing shift work yeah definitely and what kind of things could help them um from a from a broader perspective too yeah absolutely that makes sense um so can you tell us a little bit about the findings Yes. So sneak peek to the findings. Basically, um, the study finds that team reflexivity or in other words, like team debrief. So if people are at the end of a shift in this case, like they did at manufacturing um, workers at the end of each shift, they would do a debrief. And they found that teams that did these five minute, 10 minute debriefs about what went well that shift, what didn't go well, um, and what they could do you know in the future next shift to um improve those teams saw Mm. better outcomes meaning those teams saw that they felt they had more support from their colleagues people also felt like they had more control over their job itself Um, and that led to them being less burnt out and they measured burnout with emotional exhaustion cynicism and an efficacy. So in other words, there's three different ways they were looking at burnout. So whether someone was emotionally tired, um, were they feeling exhausted at the end of the day, drained? Mm-hmm. Um, were they cynical? So were they kind of frustrated, um, you know, having negative attitudes overall? And then did they feel inefficacy, which means like, did they feel like they weren't competent or productive um, or maybe a lowered sense of accomplishment? So doing these team yeah. debriefs, <laughs> Helped people feel less sense. exhausted, <laughs> less cynical, and less inefficacious, ineff- ineffective. I guess I don't know. Inef- I don't know how you <laughs> trying to figure out how to change that word. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so it seems like um, you know so overall, the it's time, kind of a, a I know positive like effect on everybody's work environment this day, these, this day and age. 
is so fast paced. And especially when you're working on teams, you know, you're sending emails back and forth. Things are flying, you know, from one person to another. You're trying <laughs> to hit a deadline, whatever. It can be difficult to remind yourself kind of to slow down and take the time to debrief. But it seems like what they're saying is that taking time to connect with each other as a team and make sure everyone's on the same page is actually beneficial, not just for the team's performance, but also for people feeling good about where they are in the team. Um, do they talk at all about why they think that might be true? Like, what is it that um, those debriefs do for people? So they talk a little bit about that. Like, they're talking about how, I mean, they actually thought that it would also have an impact um, on per people's perceptions of demand. So, like, how demanding do they feel their job mm. is and, like, how many tasks do they have to do? But it didn't actually have an impact on that. So when you think about it, it had the things that impacted are kind of intuitive like I am sitting around with my team, I'm reflecting on how the workday went and we're talking about, you know, what went well, what didn't go well and everybody's supporting each other, right? Like if something didn't go well, they help give ideas, they give you feedback, you give them feedback. So people are kind of have this open conversation. So the support increasing makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the same with the job control, because after these debriefs, it's like your input into what you could do, what can be done better next time around is being used. So you're having some input as to how the job's going to be done on the next shift. What are the things that can be changed and can be improved? So you're, I mean, they're just kind of, nat to me, they seem like natural progressions from having these debrief conversations. Yeah. And really the reason why they were studying it is to what you'd said earlier about performance. Like there's been a lot of research on, these types of debriefs and improving performance on the job. Mm -hmm. And so this group of researchers was like, okay, well, we know it improves productivity. We know it improves innovation. We know it reduces mistakes on the job and just generally performance increases. So what about well-being? What about more than that? Like, does it help people feel better? Like, is it a positive thing for the individual outside of performance? And it is. That's cool. Yeah. It seems like also it could be beneficial for people to feel like, oh, you know what, I matter to this team more broadly. I know we talked before about uh, in motivation theory that people feel like, you know, if they are worthwhile to the team or they can see a broader purpose for why they're on the team or they feel more connected than just their little piece of the pie, that sometimes it can make people feel better about what their work is overall. So I would imagine there it could also be serving that kind of purpose of, okay, we're going to debrief and I'm going to be able to weigh in on different aspects of the project and people might ask me for help. And I also might ask other people for help. So it builds some of that camaraderie and support, but it also makes me feel more like, okay, I matter and I can see more like how what I'm doing fits in with the broader scope of what our project team is doing in general. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point and that isn't something they measured mm -hmm. in this study. But I do agree that maybe the next time somebody could could study that and see how it impacts people because I think that it does make sense that you would feel like you maybe have not just control over the task but you have more ownership you're valued in some way um you make a difference yeah and obviously we know that has a lot of positive impacts on employees yeah definitely how many um teams or how many um people were in the study like what was the scope of the study from that perspective yeah, they, it was actually a, um, a company in China, 
It was an electronics company um, and a manufacturing team. Okay. And there were 469 people that um, had all the data points. So they completed all the different surveys. Um, it was kind of the way they did the study is they did they split the teams in half. So I, th- I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were like over 70 teams. Okay. And half of them did not do um, the shift debrief. The other half started doing shift debriefs and they did it for four weeks. Cool. Um, so the control group had like all these different things happening, like different team building activities to kind of control for the fact that they're just talking to their teams more often. Um, but just do, but the type of tasks they were doing were different than the debrief tasks. So when they were doing these debriefs, the groups would get together and they would spend their time on four different areas. They would first take a minute to reflect on on their own behavior. So like, what did they do? How would they explain how they did that day? Mm-hmm. Then they would basically use their team members to verify that they're thinking about things properly, right? So, all right, I know XYZ happened today and... I think it was because of these things. And then they kind of all talk to each other to figure out like, yes, we all agree. X, Y, Z happened because Joe did this and Susan did this and whatever. Um, and then they, they seek feedback from each other. And then they spend some time planning and discussing kind of what the next goals are for the future shift. What is that going to look like? So that's kind of the structure. They were trained in the structure of these debriefs cool. and how to do them effectively. Over um, the four weeks, their debriefs actually got shorter because one, performance was increased, improving, so probably less issues to discuss. But also, two, they got better at it, right? They knew what they were supposed to talk about and they were able to kind of streamline the process. So by the end of the, the um, study, the, the debriefs were really like five, five minutes long. They weren't very long at all. Um, and they saw the impacts that we described. So kind of a, a pretty decent sized study yeah. um, for this kind of group. And, you know, a pretty, uh, it was pretty diverse too in terms of at least gender. So it was about half men and half women. Hmm. So that was kind of nice to see given um, the type of role. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, there's something to be said about that too. That's cool. Yeah. I think um, it's good also to note that it's not just the act of having the meeting that made a difference, but it's also the what what you do during that meeting so it's not just like connecting and having more of like a free form kind of flow like whatever anybody wants to talk about that they were pretty clear about the specifics of what the meetings needed to include in order for them to be Mm -hmm. effective so it's like if people Mm -hmm. listening want to follow that same methodology then they have to take the you know opportunity to train people on those four steps as opposed to just kind of like letting managers do whatever they want Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a big piece too. And then they also did a pretty good job of separating everything. So the shift piece was actually important because they had, you know, one set of shift um, teams doing the debriefs, the other shifts not doing them. Mm -hmm. And they flip flop shift. So one week I would be a day shift employee and the next week I'm a night shift. So it's not like I'm, you know, day shift people are different than night shift people because they every week they rotate. Mm -hmm. Um, But that way that everybody on the same shift is doing it. So there's no like conversation like, oh, what did you guys do? Oh, maybe we should do that on my team and then start doing it as well on their own. Right. I mean, it's a pretty clean, clean difference between the groups. So I thought that they did a good job with that. Yeah, that's that's good, too, because I think one of the things that's really hard just looking at it from a research perspective is that a lot of companies won't let you as a researcher come in and 
do half of one thing to one group and another half gets something else. They're like, oh, well, what if somebody finds out later that they could have been having these cool meetings and their team could have been doing better and then they didn't get the opportunity or whatever the case may be. But it actually is a really good way to test whether or not something's working um, and you get like this pure result so you can compare before you roll something out you know, on, on a wider scale, you can test whether or not it's working in a smaller group. So if Mm -hmm. people are listening that are interested in this kind of intervention and you want to do it in a small group first and then compare it to a similarly sized group of teams that didn't have this intervention, you can kind of replicate this yourself, um, and see how it works for you and tweak it, how it needs to be tweaked for you. But, um, these kinds of designs, oftentimes I think workplaces don't, want to put in place because they're concerned about fairness issues but on the back end it also helps you a lot with being able to actually purely derive like what's the difference between doing this and not doing this so you have to weigh the pros and cons but I think like if this is something that you think you could pull off in your workplace the method is one that doesn't have to stay in the research it can also be done in practice exactly and the thing is that you can always then put in the intervention after so you know it was a four-week time period And from what it sounded like in the paper, it sounds like they probably did implement the team debriefs for everybody. So after four weeks, everyone's doing it. So like, yeah, fairness, maybe for a month you didn't experience that because you were in the other group, but you now are doing it and you've learned that it is important. So maybe now even all those teams will probably take it even more seriously and make it even better. So it's really not super unfair yeah, right? yeah especially if it's random as long as you're not picking like oh these are my favorite teams so they get to do it right right then um that that's where the fairness issue comes into play if it's random and then you implement it for everybody after I think it's totally fine yeah I completely agree um and I think that it's awesome when researchers are able to partner with organizations who are willing to do those kinds of um studies because then you can see much more cleanly what's working and what's not working. So that's a pretty cool method. If anyone wants to take notes on that, uh, trying to uh, demonstrate sort of the clean difference between two interventions, it's a pretty good idea. Agreed. And if anybody wants to implement it, I think that's another really good idea um, based on the research. I think that here, like what they did is that the, the debriefs were at the end of the each shift, right? So I think I already mentioned that. And so I think for shift jobs, like that's, really easy mm-hmm. you know nursing for example I mean most most hospitals already do this really when you're changing shifts um from one nursing team to the next because yeah. you have to share information across the team so you're kind of debriefing um with your team and then you're also sharing information with the new team so it'd be good to have to make sure that during those debriefs you take the time to reflect on what worked and what didn't work and a plan for the their next shift yeah. their future shift um but then, you know, that can also help the new team plan for their future shift. So I think there's, you know, a lot that's already being done. And it would just be very wise to make sure that you reflect on what, you know, that specific tasks, not just saying, oh, so-and-so in that room needs whatever. But like when there was a problem, what happened? How do we fix it? What are the solutions? You know, what could we be done differently? Right. So that you're doing that reflection piece. Because I think that's probably a big component to these debriefs. Yeah, definitely. Um but yeah, I think any shift job, this one makes sense. Like restaurants do these. They have shifts. A lot of restaurants do. Um, at least for the first shift, they might do like a pre-brief. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so it might be good to think about doing them at the end of shifts. So you have some debriefs as well. And um, I think that's another 
kind of industry that maybe has some clear cut shifts call centers is another one and again i think that there are some companies that i've seen that do debriefs and that's great because they're already probably reaping some of these benefits and for those that aren't it makes sense to add them and i think the other place you could add debriefs is if you're not doing shift work that maybe it makes more sense to not do them quite as frequently right Mm -hmm. like for me at the end of my day if I like got together with my team and said like okay let's debrief on the day I'd be like well I had four meetings like I don't know right (laughs) really translate properly but I we do have every two weeks we have like a team meeting where we talk about like what's been working where are we having issues etc so you could kind of do it that way Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you could do it once a week or uh, maybe you just do it around projects so like after you have like a really big client meeting then afterwards you do a debrief and talk about what went well what you could have done better so and doing it more formally like we definitely do that um kind of informally after meetings mm-hmm. after big meetings when we're traveling but I'd be really happy if we could make it a more formal thing and I think maybe we could get some benefits from that yeah and I also think if you have teams that are working virtually and you have people on different time zones or things like that you might be able to leverage technology to even think about okay could we have people who are working on the project in India let's say work on it in their time zone and then record like a short video of what they did, um, what went well, what didn't go well, things that they might need brainstorming help with or whatever. And then the next team might be able to respond to that by video and send them something back to sort of mimic some of those things. Or you find a time and alternate the time when people meet um, to discuss how the project's going. And sometimes it's late for one group and another time it's late for another group or something like that. But uh, just trying to find ways to sort of connect and make sure that people are still getting that face-to-face interaction, still getting the feedback, and still able to provide input in a more structured fashion so you're not just relying on people remembering to do it um, or, you know, Mm -hmm. hoping that people will just uh, think to uh, ask their colleagues to weigh in. I think that's a really good point, that when you have, like, really different time zones, like, I don't deal with the crazy time zones like that um that often and all my team members are in the U.S. so our time differences are not huge right but when you have something like that like you usually have I mean this is probably not always true but I feel like generally you'd have a couple people in each of those locations so like maybe India does a debrief and then the U.S. does a debrief and then Europe does a debrief um at the end of each day or end of each whatever that looks like um and then do like a more global one once a month so that way because I know that times can be really really challenging if you want to have good work-life balance which obviously we recommend that and you don't want people to have to like go crazy leave their families at like 7 p.m or like wake up at four in the morning or something like that um so you do it less frequently but I think if you can do the regionalized ones and like you said document it in some way then you could in theory kind of have like this different type of debrief yeah it'd be really interesting to see how that would work out I mean like we could do research on that and see how that looks yeah maybe that would have a big impact too yeah I think so I mean I think that you know it's always difficult when you're working like across time zones or with um you know people who are just not on the same work schedule or maybe you have a project that spans shifts or whatever but thinking about how to get creative about it and I think that the idea is just sort of as you're mentioning, you know, um, really thinking hard about how do we create that like feedback loop between people and the ability for people to feel connected to one another um, and not kind of feel like a silo. Um, and if you can find a way to do that, I think what you're saying is that it improves performance. And also I think that it's another lesson of what we talk about all the time is that 
people see these like time investments as time wasters when they're in the heat of the moment. Like, oh, we don't have time for that. Like we have to get this and that done. We don't have time for a meeting or we don't have time for a call. But they're literally talking about eventually, you know, dedicating five minutes to something like this. And so, you know, you have five minutes to dedicate to it or 10 minutes to dedicate to it. And it's something that ends up saving you time and makes you more efficient in the long term. So like we talk about with a lot of human capital related processes that support wellness, it's like, you, yeah, you have to put some time in, but what you get out is greater than what you're investing. And you just have to like trust the process. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that you need to think of things more more broadly, more big picture. Like we talk about this all the time. I feel like it's a common theme, right? You don't want to spend money on, I don't know, maternity leave, or you don't want to spend money on insurance, or you don't want to spend money on um, gym memberships for your employees, or you don't want to spend the time to do whatever, like all those things, you know, you don't want to spend, give people breaks, give people time off whatever that looks like you're just so worried about the time wasted or the money spent that you're not really thinking about how it actually would be a benefit for the big picture and for the bottom line down the road that it's not just okay well we're taking 10 minutes every day to talk about this topic like is that really worth my time actually yes it is it is worth the time because performance is going to improve and wellness is going to improve so you're going to have employees that are not experiencing burnout that are you know feeling connected and supported by their coworkers and are performing better and are more efficient and making less mistakes. Like that is huge. Yeah. And 10 minutes is worth probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour is worth that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think just getting perspective and, you know, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already agree with this. <laughs> um, so it's just trying to figure out how to explain this to people that maybe aren't thinking about the picture that way. So, you know, showing them the big picture, like, Um, There was a study on this topic that uh, looked at many, many studies looking at debriefs, right? So it was a Mm -hmm. meta-analysis, and it showed that it improved effectiveness by 25% compared to people that were not doing debriefs. Mm -hmm. So that's huge, 25%. Like, you can throw that stat out to an executive, and I guarantee you 25% is going to make them think about it because that is a big number. Yeah. so I think it's just learning how to voice that if you are not in a position to make these decisions. And if you are, take this information and influence your peers and make your company better. Yeah, that's awesome. So is there anything that we missed that people should know about the findings or what they can do with them? Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like I had a thought, but I may have lost it to who knows what to the lost um i think those are the main yeah long lost thought just (laughs) hiding somewhere um i think we touched on the main things though right like making sure employees are not burned out like we understand why that's a problem we've talked about that a lot um in a team perspective there's one piece that i didn't mention is that having um team members that are burnt out actually reduces the overall team stability Mm. And their overall productivity as a team. So not just at employee level, but it makes the team less productive overall if a couple of members are burnt out. Mm. So that's something to think about too. Yeah, totally. Um, And then, yeah, but other than that, I think we kind of covered it all. Like the key things are just giving some people time to debrief or taking the time, if you're one of the team members, to debrief. Yeah. And seeing the kind of benefits you can reap. So I think from an employee perspective, it's – Maybe encouraging your team members to do this and maybe 
lead the charge. If you're a manager, you should set this up and encourage your teams to do it. And if you're a, a leader, a senior leader, then maybe you want to think about how you can make this a consistent practice within your organization. Um, just kind of an expected process that happens, you know, at the end of a shift, at the end of a project, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And I think it's always nice when there's sort of a straightforward intervention that people can do that you know usually the answer to all of our questions is well it depends well it's complicated and while that's true to some extent with this study this is an intervention based study that you know you can put in place within your workplace and there's a formula for it they've given you kind of a script to follow in terms of what the intervention looks like so it turns out to be you know more straightforward and a little bit easier to uh, deploy when you have something that is you know pretty easy to understand and put in place. So um, I hope that people actually do it. Yeah, agreed. It's easy. It's cheap. You can totally do it in your workplace. So take advantage, especially if you're working in teams a lot. This is something that that should be used. And um, really, there's no harm in it, right? It's not going to do anything bad. Right. So <laughs> you might as well put it in place and see if you reap the benefits. And if you do put it in place, measure the outcomes that you're interested in affecting before and after so that you can show like this practice is actually doing something and then people will think you're really cool and smart because you're actually able to show the impact of what you're doing on outcomes and uh, then people will be more likely to follow you follow your lead in doing it because you're able to document why it was a good thing. Good point. Good point. And if you have questions about how to do that and what to measure, you can always reach out. You can always find us. You can, um, you know, you can send us an email at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us at workerbeing.com and you can find us on social media, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook at workerbeing. So thank thank you so so much much for for reading this. Oh, thank you so much for reading this. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Of course. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it was helpful. I thought it was really interesting and pretty simple and straightforward. So I, I hope people use it and actually take advantage of this, this research. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.